Thank you, Abby. We've enjoyed a wonderful service thus far. Take your Bibles and turn back, if you would, with me to our text in the Scripture reading, Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to be going through different passages of Scripture. We have been on Sunday mornings going through the book of Acts. We are taking a break today. I want to preach a topical message on Veterans Day. Some admonitions for those of you who know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. I would say this, first of all, that these things will not apply to you directly if you are not yet a child of God. You say, well, if God is a creator and God created all men, then am I not a child of God? Maybe in that sense, but Jesus said to some very religious leaders in his day, ye are of your father the devil. Lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. Imagine those self-righteous Pharisees taking that. And so there are many people who are very sincere, very religious. Even the Pharisees took a very literal view of the Old Testament scriptures, but they thought that through keeping the law and going about establishing their own righteousness by keeping the deeds of the law, that they could justify themselves before God, which they cannot do. Jesus very clearly states that that is impossible in Luke chapter 18. But it is possible that there are some very religious people that are here this morning or watching by way of live stream and very sincere. But unless you've placed your faith only in the Lord Jesus Christ, the living and eternal Son of God, the one who, being eternal God, did not hold on or cling to the glory he enjoyed in heaven, but the Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary, the virgin. And Jesus was placed in her womb and he was born. And he lived a completely perfect and sinless life, completely fulfilling the law that we have completely broken and willingly went to the cross as the Lamb of God the full payment, once for all, sacrifice for sin. He died on that cross, shedding his blood, for without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. And he was buried three days later. He took up his life again and conquered death. And he has the power and the authority and the loving desire to forgive you of your sin and to give you the gift of everlasting life. If you've not yet experienced that in your life and you are searching for truth, the Bible says in John 8, in verse 32, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. But like Pilate, you might ask, what is truth? And Jesus answers that in John 14, 6. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I would like to introduce you to Jesus, the truth, so that you can be set free from those doubts, and those questions, from the burden of the guilt of your sin. And you can come to the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the Prince of Peace, and he will cleanse you of your sin. He'll give you everlasting life. He'll give you an eternal future with him far more glorious than anything that you could ever dream. But for those of us who are saved and we have a glorious eternal future to look forward to, folks, we live in the nasty now and now. And we are in war. So read with me again our text, Ephesians chapter 6, beginning, if you would, in verse 10. Finally, brethren, and Paul is kind of summing up some things here. By the way, I could preach an entire series just on these few verses. I will not do that this morning. But rather, I want to point out something. But the first admonition is put on the armor. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord 
It literally means be strengthened in the Lord. And in the power of his might, put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For I wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. We're in for a fight. We must put on the armor. And folks, no soldier puts on the armor merely for self-preservation. The point of war is not to get a whole bunch of guys to put on armor and get a bunch of weapons and see who's the last man standing, and that's the whole point of the war. There is an objective. And what is the objective for the Christian? We who are, we could put it this way, we are in the Lord's army. The objective is the Great Commission. Matthew 28, 19, and 20, Go ye therefore and teach all nations. We teach them the gospel, that which I've already just shared with you. And then baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, because that is a command that God gave to the apostles that we still hear, obey. Not that there is any merit or grace conferred in the act of baptism. Jesus Christ in John 19 and verse 30 declared before he yielded up the ghost, it is finished. The work of salvation was finished on the cross. Being baptized does not add to the work of salvation that Jesus accomplished. He paid it all. The work is done. But baptism then is a commitment to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is a public identification with him and it is a public testimony that this is what I have experienced. I have repented of my sin. I have turned from trusting in myself. I've put my faith only in Jesus Christ. I am a new creation and I'm going to walk in a new path. And then teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have said unto thee, that is to teach solid doctrine and to train and equip other brothers and sisters in Christ to live a life that is pleasing to God and that will count for eternity. That is our mission, but we must put on the armor. (coughs) And though Self-preservation or protection is not the main objective of a military exercise. It's pretty important. So let's look at the armor. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Verse 14, stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth. What are the loins? It is this area here. Where is your strength? Where is your stability? It's here. You get wounded in the leg. You can't fight very well. Where is our stability? Where is our strength? How do we stand? We stand on the truth. And Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. The Apostle Paul told the Corinthian believers, For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. We stand on the Word of God. Christ, the living Word, and the Scriptures, the written Word. We stand on the truth, and we stand stable, and we stand firm. Folks, we live in a world with people that have spiritually wobbly legs because the world vacillates and say that truth is relative. Folks, truth is absolute because truth comes from God and God is immutable. And his word comes from his very self. It is his word breathed out. It is his declaration. It is absolutely and completely in line with his character for the scriptures declare to us what we can understand in this life about him. Therefore, we stand with our loins girt about with truth because we know Jesus, who is the truth, and his word. Jesus said in John 17, 17, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Folks, stand strong in the scriptures. Your stability is directly linked to putting on the belt of truth. 
And then continuing on. And having the breastplate of righteousness. Folks, 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us, For he, that's God the Father, hath made him, as Christ the Son, to be sent for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And that which protects my heart, and that which gives comfort to my soul, and that assurance which I can have, is that I do not go in my own righteousness, but in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, who has now made me a new creation, and now I am to walk in newness of life, and I am to be holy, as it is written, God says, be holy, for I am holy. And I walk with a breastplate of righteousness. I've been made righteous. But further, the Bible tells us in Ephesians 2.10 that we have been created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. There is a great confidence and assurance that the Christian can have because the Word of God tells us how to live righteously. And when we live righteously, then the attacks and those arrows of Satan that try to pierce our soul and get us to doubt deflect because we are protected by righteous living having a righteous position in Christ. Continuing on, and again, I'm summing up what really should be a series. And your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Do you know that those Roman shoes, the soldiers, the Roman soldiers, their shoes had cleats so that they could dig in and they could fight. They were meant to move forward, not backwards. And folks, we are to have our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. That means wherever we go, we ought to be ready to share the good news of salvation of Jesus Christ with people. Mark 16, 15, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Hey folks, we go, we stand in the truth of the gospel and we go with the wonderful news of the gospel. We live, folks, in a world of turmoil and uncertainty and we can proclaim the truth of the gospel our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And then continuing on. And again, there are more things that could be brought out in any one of these pieces of armor. And I'm not, I'm just highlighting a few this morning. There are more that could be brought out. Going on in verse 16. Above all, taking the shield of faith wherewith he shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. What is faith? Well, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So well, what's a practical definition of faith? Taking the shield of faith, what does that mean? It means I believe the word of God. And I believe it so much that I live according to it. I believe and claim the promises of the word of God. And when all of the flaming arrows of doubt and temptation attack me, I stand, my trust is in God and in his word. And I stand protected, walking by faith. For we walk, 2 Corinthians 5, 7, for we walk by faith, not by sight. You walk by sight and you'll panic. You walk by faith and you'll advance. Remember that Jesus is, in in the Gospels, he's walking on the water in the midst of a storm. And uh, the, the disciples have been trying to bail out the boat and they've been trying to row to shore and the winds are contrary to them and all of a sudden here it is dark in the middle of a storm and all these waves and they think that the boat might sink and and here comes jesus just walking on the water and peter says lord that's you bid me to come to you on the water because 
They were all afraid and thought it was a ghost. And Jesus said, it's I, be not afraid. And Peter said, "Uh, well, Lord, if that's you, bid me to walk to you on the water. And Jesus said, come on, Peter. And Peter, man, he just jumped over the side of that boat in the middle of a storm, winds howling, waves everywhere, everything is dark. Moments before, he'd been afraid that the boat was going to sink. Now he just jumps over the side of the boat and starts walking on the water to Jesus. And you know what? As long as he walked by faith, looking to Jesus, he was fine. But what happened when he took his eyes off Jesus and looked at the circumstances? He began to sink. Maybe there are some here who are believers, and you've taken your eyes off Jesus Christ. And you've let down the shield of faith, and instead of trusting God's word, and entrusting in him and in going to him in prayer, you have t- trusted in your own devices and in your own wisdom or in the counsel of this world. And you were walking by faith and God was using your life in a supernatural way. And it seems now you're succumbing to the waves of the storm in your life. Do like Peter. What did he say? Lord, save me. He put his faith back in Jesus. And together they walked on the water again. Moving on. And take the helmet of salvation. That protects our thinking. Folks, we, in our Sunday school class, we're going through a series right now on cults and false religions. And you know it is so wonderful that we can put on the helmet of salvation. And you know what the most delightful thing about the helmet of salvation is? The helmet of salvation, which protects my thinking, is that I know the reality of salvation because I have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, the Lord of salvation. And I know that the way of salvation in which I believe, that helmet of salvation that I have put on, is not the fabrication of some man. This armor is made by God and given to us. And it protects our thinking. And we have absolute assurance that we know where we will be for all eternity because of Christ. And then the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. For the Word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and it's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. One of the questions we had this morning in our Sunday school class was this question, well, what does a person of the religion we were talking about, what, what would a person say to that passage of Scripture? when they believe that the leader or the founder of their religion can reinterpret scripture, that their word holds higher authority ultimately than the scriptures do. And I said, there's a couple of things. One is your supernaturally transformed life. Second Corinthians 5, 17, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. One of the most powerful authenticators of the gospel is your transformed life. But I've also told him this, in many instances over the years, I cannot even count how many times when I have been talking to somebody, and folks, false religion is a weapon of Satan. 2 Corinthians 4, 4, in whom the God, little g, of this world hath blinded the minds of them that believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel, which is the image of Christ, should shine unto them. Satan uses false religion to deceive millions of people into a false sense of eternal security, and they die forever in the second death because their trust is in a religion, in a series of good works, and not in the Lord Jesus Christ. But I told him this. I said, the other most convincing thing that will help a person to believe the word of God over that person 
is to quote the scriptures. So I can't tell you how many times I've been talking with somebody who'd been arguing points with me. And folks, by the way, we can't argue anybody into the kingdom. We love them into the kingdom. But we are to be able to give an answer of the hope that lies with us with meekness and fear and with a humble spirit, walking in the fear of the Lord, realizing I have an opportunity here for which I will give account. I graciously want to explain the word of God as I can and my faith in the word of God and in Jesus Christ, the living word. And I told, I told this person this this morning in our Sunday school class. I said, it is amazing to me how many times I have been started quoting the scripture to help a person. And just in sharing the scriptures, you see a transformation in their countenance. You can see even in their eyes that they're coming under the conviction, not an emotion, the conviction they are becoming convinced just by the quoting of Scripture that that Scripture is the eternal Word of God and it's true and it's relevant to them. And folks, that's something only the Spirit of God can do. But the very Spirit of God, who Jesus said when he's come into the world, will reprove the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. That same Holy Spirit is the one who spoke to the apostles and the prophets who wrote the inspired Word of God that same Holy Spirit who indwells you and me, Christian, is the same Holy Spirit that can take the same word that he inspired and convince of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment in that person's heart. That's the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And we stand for the truth. And when people attack the truth, we stand for the truth. Because it is vital People cannot have freedom unless they come to Jesus, who's the way, the truth, and the life. John 8, 32, ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So put on the armor. Here are some sub-points. I haven't got, gotten to those yet. Ready? Here's the sub-points. First, wear the armor and wield the weapons in the power of the grace of God. You cannot wield this armor in your own strength. Be strengthened in the grace of God. Number two, identify the enemy and do not underestimate him. You see, the enemy is not that blasphemous person that's arguing with you or even necessarily the, the a leader within the organization of a false religion. Because behind that false leader and behind that person that's arguing with you is the one who has blinded their minds. The enemy is the devil, Satan. So we must identify the enemy and realize that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. Our weapons are spiritual. We must identify the enemy and do not underestimate him. There was a song that I can remember singing when I was in children's church. Maybe some of you remember it. And if the devil doesn't like it, he can sit on attack. Ouch! You remember that? Anybody ever seen that one besides me? Some of you looking at me like a calf staring at a new gate. Yeah, it was a song that I sang in children's church. Some of you have too. Folks, even Michael the archangel Contending over the body of Moses, durst not bring against Satan a railing accusation, but said, the Lord rebuke thee. Don't underestimate the enemy. Now, greater is he, the Holy Spirit that's in you, than he that is in the world. Hey, one of these days, Satan is going to be cast forever into the lake of fire. He is a defeated foe, but we don't underestimate him. He is a powerful enemy. We must wield the armor. Do not neglect any part of the armor. 
constantly communicate with the captain of the Lord of hosts. Look back with me, if you would, in verse 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. Anybody that served in the military will tell you that one of the most vital things about the military is communication, proper communication. Four people in the military die because of a lack of proper communication all the time. Study military history and you will find out that battles have been won and lost because of excellent or poor communication. Communicate with Jesus Christ, the captain of the Lord of hosts. And remember this, you do not fight or stand alone. First of all, because Jesus said, I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. But also because you have brothers and sisters in Christ. Do you remember one of the prophets of God in the Old Testament? He said, Lord, take my life. I'm the only one left in Israel that hasn't bowed the knee to Baal. And, Jesus, and, and what did God tell him? He said, hey, get up. I have 7,000 that haven't bowed the knee to Baal. And sometimes we feel like that. We feel like we're all alone. We're fighting alone. We're standing alone. Folks, you're not. You have brothers and sisters in Christ. That's one of the blessings of being, coming to church. And we're thankful for those who can only watch by way of live stream and they come and we can supplement uh, for them because they can't make it here. But you know what? One of the blessings of coming to church is to be reminded you are in the presence of other believers who love the Lord Jesus Christ, who are say, facing the same daily difficulties that you are, and they're also facing spiritual battles and struggles, and you may have an opportunity to encourage them, and some who've gone through those things and come out on the other side victorious by the grace of a faithful God can encourage and help equip you to walk faithfully with him. And it's great to come to church simply for the benefit of remembering that you are not alone. And God has intended us to take care of one another, to exhort one another, to edify one another. Man, the Bible even says we're to hold up the hands that hang down and we're to help strengthen the feeble knees because all of us struggle and all of us get whooped in battles. And we need others to help us and to encourage us. Number two, endure the hardships of battle. If you would turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 2. If you thought I was done, sorry, not yet. <laughs> 2 Timothy. What does Paul say by his grace of the Holy Spirit to his son in the faith? Thou therefore, my son, be strong again. It's in the middle voice. It means be strengthened in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that thou hast heard among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. So be strengthened by the grace of Christ. Stay faithful to the word and train others to do the same and then when he says, thou therefore endure hardness, it literally translates, suffer hardship with me. Don't be a Christian of convenience. Be a Christian of conviction and commitment. Hardships should be anticipated, accepted, and endured with joy. In Acts chapter 14, we looked at this not too long ago in one of our morning messages in verses 21 and 22. The Bible says, And when they had preached the gospel to that city and had taught many, they returned again to Lystra, Iconium, Antioch, confirming the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in, to continue in the faith, and that 
And isn't it interesting that of all of this that they did, the only specific message that Luke records and emphasizes is this specific message. We must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. That was not to discourage them. It was to help them to face reality, to be prepared. Romans 8, 17 and 18, And of children then heirs, heirs of God, and join heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him. It's assumed we will suffer with him and for his name's sake. That we may be glorified together, for I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that should, which will be revealed in us. Endure the hardships of battle. And then, look in verse 4. The next point is this, avoid entanglement. The Bible says in verse 4, No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. The word affairs is pragmatia. What's that sound like? Pragmatic. Yeah, that's where we get the word. It means business. To conduct business, transactions. And then life is the word bios, where we get our English word biology, the present state of existence. By implication, the means of livelihood. Do you know what Paul is admonishing Timothy and what the Holy Spirit, through giving the word of God to all believers, is admonishing all of us, is this. Do not get wrapped up in all of the practical day-to-day -day transactions of this temporal life and in making a living. Reminds me of what Jesus said to the disciples in Matthew chapter 6 as he is teaching there. He talks about not laying up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, with these do not break through nor steal. But you know what he says? He says, listen, take no thought therefore. Saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? Where shall we be clothed? In other words, that ought not to consume our thinking. Matthew 6, 31 to 33. Take therefore no thought, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? Wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. Now the word seek there means to pursue. It means to be consumed with pursuing. It's kind of like maybe you've heard of one of these cold case murders where some detective opens up a file from like 20 or 25 years ago and the mystery has never been solved. And that, that mystery, that pursuing that murder and bringing him or her to justice consumes their life. And their professional life begins to invade their personal, private life. Man, they become consumed with pursuing that. That's the same idea that Jesus is saying here. Don't be consumed with pursuing the pragmatic, making a living things of this world. Now, God certainly is not telling us to be lazy or careless or not to fulfill our responsibilities. The Bible is very balanced. The Bible says that a man, a believer, who does not provide for his own is worse than an unbeliever. The Bible says, if any should not work, neither let him Eat. God expects us to work and provide a living and take care of our families. But he does not want us to be consumed with those things. Entangled. You know, someone has said, well, some Christians are so heavenly minded, they're of no earthly good. I think the opposite is what's true of many believers. We're so temporally minded and so tangled up in the pragmatic things of this life that we're really not making a huge spiritual difference. The idea of thought in this verse is to worry. Take no thought. You ever watch a dog worrying over a bone? Just kind of gnawing and chewing on it, trying to break down that bone and consume it or break it into little bits? Let me ask you this. Where do you spend your mental energy? What is your main focus? 
in life right now. Avoid entanglements. And then, last of all, fight the battle knowing that God shall win the war. Turn with me just back a page or two to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 12. The Bible says, fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called, and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. And then turn back with me one last passage, and we're almost done. Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 20 to 23. The Bible says in verse 20, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come, and hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. So fight the battle knowing that God should win the war. First of all, we fight spiritual battles knowing we shall receive the fulfillment of the promises of eternal life. Lay hold on eternal life. You know what, 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 what Paul is, is admonishing Timothy and what we are being admonished by the Holy Spirit is not try to grab hold on to eternal life. Hold, you know, trust Christ as your Savior. Now live a really good life and good works and hold on to your salvation. You don't want to lose it. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is cling to it. Like in the days of old when a, a ship in battle was torn to shreds and began to sink and there was flotsam, you know, boards or whatever, something that floated and a sailor would cling to that floating, whatever it was, for dear, literally for dear life and would keep holding on to it. He's saying cling to the promises of eternal life. Cling to the promise knowing that all that God has prepared for you, you will someday and forever experience. We also fight for spiritual battles knowing we have been commissioned by God to do so. Folks, we're not going by our own command. We have been commissioned by the King of kings and Lord of lords. We've been commissioned to proclaim the gospel, to stand for the truth, to disciple brothers and sisters in Christ, to reach the lost stand and to live a life that proclaims our Lord Jesus Christ and brings him the glory. And then we fight spiritual battles by standing graciously but firmly for the truth by proclaiming the gospel and by investing in the lives of our fellow soldiers. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations, and every high thought that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Let's bow our heads for just a moment. We're not going to have a come forward invitation this morning. Rather, I'm going to have our pianist come and just play through a couple stanzas of an invitation song, and you can remain seated. But I am going to challenge you from God's word and give you an invitation. You know, if you put off the armor and just want to go over to the sideline and not fight anymore because you're tired of the fight, 
You're tired of the persecution. You're tired of the ridicule. You're tired of the effort. Say, let somebody else fight the battles. Don't think Satan's just going to let you alone because you're saying time out. He kind of ignores that. But maybe you've been trying to fight the weapons of spiritual warfare by your own wisdom and your own strength, by your own self-discipline. The hymn writer wrote, the arm of flesh will fail you. You dare not trust your own. How true that is. God has provided the armor. Put it on every day. And every day ask God for the strength of his grace to wield faithfully that armor. Endure the hardships of battle. God never promised an easy way, but he did promise us strength and grace and his presence and to fully equip us with everything we need to live a life of godliness and virtue. Maybe some here, you're really going through some spiritual struggles and battles. Maybe there's extended family that's just been fighting you over the gospel or maybe you've been persecuted at work for your faith. Maybe there's something else going on in your life and you realize this is part of Satan's warfare to <coughs> discourage you, intimidate you. Maybe for some of you, you're going through a severe season right now of temptation to some particular sin. And you need to ask God for his grace and wisdom and even for prudence to foresee temptation coming so you can avoid it. To cast yourself down and say, Lord, I can't beat this on my own. I, I want to submit to you. I want to be obedient to you, but it must be your grace. You must, Lord, give me the victory. Maybe some have become entangled in the affairs of this life and you become distracted from the main purpose which you're even alive. And maybe this morning the Spirit of God has spoken to you about that and maybe some just need to be encouraged. You're fighting, you're being faithful. Don't give up. We know that Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords, that he will reign through all of eternity. So keep fighting. Fight the battles. Christ will win the war. As our musician begins to play our hymn of invitation right now, as you meditate upon these things, however the Spirit of God's applying these to your heart and life, please respond now. If you'd say, Pastor Todd, the very first thing you shared, the gospel, I, I don't know absolutely 100% if I were to die today where my soul would spend eternity. Would you just pray and say, God, I'm open to your truth. Would you please show me your truth? I'd also suggest you pray, Lord, give me the courage at the end of the service to talk to somebody who can show me how I can know I can have eternal life. We'll have someone help you if you would just let us know of your need. Just ask God to give you the courage to speak up and let someone know about your need.